looking for an apartment sucks wherever you live. People in New York will say, oh, it's so hard to find an apartment here. It's hard to find an apartment anywhere. It stinks. You have your mandatories. You have the things that you won't compromise on. You have the things that you don't care about. Like, let's say, oh, I need a dishwasher. I need a dishwasher. I can't live without a dishwasher. I don't care if I don't have a washer and dryer. Some people feel the exact opposite. Some people don't need any amenities. Some people need an elevator. Some people don't. That's so beautiful. We all need different things. And that's why Apartments.com has an app where you can literally use it to tell it what you need and what you don't need. And it tells you, oh, apartments. Here's some. So instead of looking through every single rental listing you possibly can in the neighborhoods you want, you set and forget, like in that old rotisserie grill ad, you set and forget what you want and Apartments.com will let you know when an apartment that matches what you want appears on the market. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking are listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments.com's instant alerts mean you can spend less time online looking for the perfect place and more time doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. You will say that. Welcome to Who Weekly, the podcast where you'll learn everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. I'm Bobby Finger. I'm Lindsay Weber. Troubled hubby Michael Keaton is cloned several times in this 1996 <laughs> screwball comedy. Please answer in the form of a question. What is multiplicity? <laughs> you got it. You won Jeopardy. You won Jeopardy. That was last night? If I recall, that's a pretty expensive question, a too. $2, that was like a $2,000 question. Yeah, that's how obscure, clue. apparently, according to Jeopardy, my multiplicity references are. <laughs> They're the most obscure that you can get. Seriously. Did somebody get it? I don't think anyone got it. A little math 2000. Troubled hubby Michael Keaton is cloned several times in this 1996 screwball comedy. That's multiplicity. <laughs> silence is truly deafening. No one rings in. <laughs> Honestly, that says everything oh, that I need to hear good. about. Oh, that's good. It really good. says everything. Everything I need to hear about me bringing this movie up relentlessly is said all in that clip. Ben Affleck played a younger version of Jack Ryan in this explosive 2002 thriller. The sum of all fears. Here's a here's a quick call. You are listening to Who's There, our weekly call-in show where we take your questions, comments, and concerns at 619-WHO-THEM. Lindsay, I'm going to play a call that's not in the doc, but it is one of the downloaded calls, so listen. <laughs> the, the woman in the house. <laughs> the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. <laughs> Oh my god, she dropped a casserole dish like three times in the trailer alone. And it's a series. Oh man, this is gonna be all over Who Weekly, isn't it? Alright, uh, crunch crunch. It's funny because you're laughing, but I don't think anyone realizes that this is a parody. Like, it's supposed to be bad. <laughs> it's supposed to be. <laughs> Netflix really, I mean, honestly, dropped the casserole dish on this one. Because oh, that's good. That's they good. released, thank you. They released a movie that's that's a parody. That's a series, I guess, a series parody. Which again, again, I'm so confused about this. Of the woman in the window, the girl on the train, 
all those movies that everybody talks about being kind of the same, mm-hmm. but it's so out of time and too late to be, I think, parroting these movies that it just comes off like just another one of them because the last one was so bad that you, when you see this, you think, oh, it's just an, another woman in the window, LOL. But what yeah. it is, is it's saying, wink, wink, we know there are a lot of these movies. Here's a joke series. But again, it's not... No one seems to understand that it's a joke. It reveals itself to be a parody at the end of the trailer. Like, if you can't already tell that Kristen Bell... When Kristen Bell talks like this in any serious way, no one is less convincing as a serious person. So it's like, the moment Kristen Bell is acting serious, you should know that something's up. Because it's it's just not going to work. The Women in the Window was so kind of bad that it was its own parody. We don't need a... It, it was funny in its own way. Like, that's why I'm like so anti this or like this is I just will never watch this. Like, I, I don't is that I already got all the joy I needed from a parody of these movies from the woman in the window. It gave us everything. The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window was originally called the woman in the house, <laughs> which is very funny. Maybe that was the reason they made the title so insane, because the woman in the house just sounds like a normal thing. Right. Like. <laughs> It just sounds like another one of them. (laughs) Okay, here's another call. Hi, Lindsay and Bobby. Um, I'm just wondering how the People's Choice Award um, is able to get A-list celebs like Halle Berry and Mindy Kaling and Dwayne The Rock Johnson to show up on the same red carpet as like the dregs of reality TV society. It's just very crazy. To see these red carpet pictures like Nick Vial and Halle Berry and somehow like the Met Gala struggles to get people to say yes, but like everyone's fine to walk the PCA red carpet with Tinks and no disrespect to Tinks. Um, crunch crunch. What's interesting is like you're not wrong, but also if you think about it, it's interesting that you compared it to the Met Gala because the reason why it's hard to get people to go to the Met Gala, I think, is because it's such an involved invitation. It's mm-hmm. like you can't just roll up to the Met Gala. You have to like get a designer to dress you and you have to be like involved in like a very specific system and you have mm-hmm. to like – it's it's a whole process if you want to be – to make it worth it for you to go to the Met Gala, you want to be photographed on the red carpet and be like a fashion thing. Yeah. It's And it's hard to be a fashion thing. <laughs> the Met Gala isn't on television. The People's Choice Awards are on network television too. And I think that makes it easier to convince people. Also, I was looking through the people.com coverage. People's Choice and people.com, no relation. Uh, but people. The way, wrong people. Wrong Not those people, people. Different people. Different people. I don't know the order of this, but the cover photo of People's Choice Awards 2021 red carpet arrivals, see the photos. The lead image is Jojo Siwa. The order here is Jojo Siwa, one of 51. Number two is The Rock, is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Number three is Halle Berry. Jojo Siwa leads The Rock and Halle Berry. I think they did that order specifically. That's wild. I mean, it's a great award show for a reality star if they want to meet Halle Berry or The Rock because they're on this. They have to deal with them. They have to if they come up to them, they have to put up with them. That's why it's such a funny. I think you're noticing a really funny mix because you have awards that are like best action star next to best reality villain or like whatever, Mm -hmm. which is kind of fun and kind of in the spirit of what the VMAs, not the VMAs or MTV TV and movie awards 
we're supposed to be or mm-hmm. were at one point, which is like that mishmash of like super A-list movie star and like Khloe Kardashian, like TV kind of reality drag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people's choice, the people keep choosing. And as long as it remains on television, I think the answer to your question is they can attract basically anyone they're giving an award to. Mm-hmm. Hi, Lindsay Bobby. I had to pause the pod this week's Tuesday episode because when you're talking about Antonio Brown, um, Lindsay, Antonio Brown was the very first contestant on The Masked Singer. He was the first one to be unmasked and eliminated. Um, I don't know when you started watching it, but I feel like you should have known. I don't know if you didn't know who he was, but I feel like you should have known who he was based on that since you were very into that show and um, guessing the contestants. Um, yep, all I had to say. Uh, good form, Bella Thorne, Crunch Crunch. This is funny because my dad even was like, why are you talking about the Tampa Bay team buccaneers mm-hmm. whatever and i was like oh we were talking about antonio brown's like vax cards drama and he was like oh that guy but this is funny that he was the first person unmasked on the mass singer ever and then he was on dancing with the stars so the kind of it all kind of ties together with the with the drama that he's got himself into i was looking at like the reporting on this when it happened and he was the hippo he sang my prerogative everybody's talking on Hippo's moving his legs like he's under 30. Yeah. <laughs> then he instantly got kicked off. People at the time were talking about the fact that he was causing a different kind of drama back in the day. I'm quoting popculture.com. The interesting thing about Brown being on The Mass Singer is the timing of it. It was on the heels of him having a major fallout with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it led to him demanding a trade. Brown was eventually traded to the Oakland Razors, only to be released by the team before the start Raiders. of the season. So he was doing, and then he ended up going to New England Patriots, and now he's at the Buccaneers. Which is uh, important to my parents because Tom Brady also went from the Patriots to the Buccaneers. Anyways, <laughs> speaking just a weird side note that I'm probably going to cut, but and just like that came out this morning on HBO Max. Yeah. A friend texted me at like 930 a.m. and said, and just like that is so bad. And 45 minutes have passed and she just texted back. OK, it gets good. <laughs> <laughs> OK, it gets good. <laughs> I'm watching it right after this. You know that, right? We're going to talk about it on the Patreon, like obviously this weekend. Yeah, I'm going to watch it tonight. Two episodes. Can't wait. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm I'm excited. It's it, the glamour, the glitz. It's back, baby. I've gotten one spoiler, but I, which is a spoiler that I expected, so I wasn't really surprised. But the thing that hasn't been spoiled yet that I'm really excited is if it has the same opening credits or if it has like a new. Like it's like like does it does it do anything? It's like a poppy or jazzy. They gave it like a hip hop beat, you know, or like a a remix or something sadder. Something a little more somber. Maybe it's like Estelle being like, a do, 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 do. Like it's like someone singing it or like maybe, I don't know. It could be anything. What would be like a. <laughs> no one has spoken about this. I can't wait. <laughs> hey, Weekly. So first off, Bobby, your, your amazing investigatory work into Lauren Perez's new father-in-law's business. I was cackling. I screamed. I clapped. But. I am from Long Island originally, and I am 99% sure that the Dunkin' Donuts Baskin Robbins combo that is down the street from my parents' house in Long Island is one of those, uh, that they own because it, I, where they live is in that general region, um, and 
most of the Dunkin' Donuts in the area that my parents live are owned by the same franchisee. Um, and so uh, I just wanted to report that every time I have gone there, my iced coffee has been burnt. Um, every time. It's awful. I don't understand it. Makes me very mad. Um, and honestly, it's what turned me off to Dunkin'. Uh, I actually went and started driving to the Starbucks, which is further away because, or going to the 7-Eleven, which is also down the street, very New York. Um, but yeah, I, that Dunkin' makes me so mad. Uh, the best Robin portion of it, great, always has good ice cream, but the, they always burn my iced coffee. Just wanted to let you know, uh, Crunch Crunch, uh, do better, Lauren Perez's dad, bus burnt iced coffee. No offense to you, but if you can taste that coffee is burnt, that start that uh, Dunkin' uh, Dunkin' Donuts in general is not for you. Do you know what I mean? (sighs) If if your taste buds are that like attuned to the taste of coffee to know when coffee is truly burnt, I don't think you're going to do well at any Dunkin'. Just say, (laughs) just say. That's true. Also, Long Island, they like their coffee burnt, and that's that's a that's a real thing. Where are you hearing that? That's a real thing. Who told thing. you that? One of my dearest friends who lives on Long Island, there's a coffee shop that I'm not even going to name. It's the worst coffee shop I've ever been to in my entire life. And everyone in loves it. Maybe and you one should time blank she goes, where she's from. Okay, you should really bleep where she's from if you don't want to insult it. I go to her house. I stay with her a couple times a year and visit. And she's always like, I know you're going to want to go to this cute coffee shop because it looks great and there's going to be a line. But don't go. Don't waste your money. It's the worst coffee. It's burnt. Everyone out here likes their coffee burnt. You're going to okay, hate okay, it. Okay. And then I went and I was like is being crazy i'm gonna go and i went once and it was the most burned disgusting coffee and when you go there it's maddening because you will hear people all around you in line talking about how good it is it's a long island thing burned coffee i'm not going to attribute burnt coffee to all of long island because of one coffee shop but uh i will i will investigate this ask your long island friends too i think it's a thing mm, interesting hi Lindsay, bobby long time long time had to pause the Pause the pod this week. Um, I was listening to you talk about Uba Hassan's hot sauce, and you didn't um, mention an even hooier thing about that hot sauce, which is that it was a storyline on Julia Hart's My Unorthodox Life Netflix show, where Uba comes to Julia and talks about how she wants to start this business, and Julia mentors her. And tells her like how to be, you know, girl boss, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so just thought you would want to know that. Uh, crunch, crunch. I only watched a few episodes of my own orthodox life before I gave up. So I missed this. But I guess she's like a plot line on the show. She is. Okay, Lindsay, here's a clip. Uba Hassan is one of our models and our talent. She has the most positive attitude. She's an extraordinarily hard worker. I'm constantly looking to expand our reach and truly transform EWG into the greatest success imaginable. So in, in Africa, the biggest meal in Africa is lunch. They made this hot sauce every single day. Like we so this had is like fresh... your family made this yes. every day. This is habanero. Okay. This is frasco. Mm-mm. And this is uh, a jalapeno. I can't stand hot sauce. What's the least spicy? That's the one you have. No, no, this is the least spicy. Okay, let me start with that. Let it, let it build up. Let it build up. Here we go. Oh, I'm the only person from Texas who cannot eat spicy food. I mean, but now I understand why she was on the show. She's an elite model. Elite. That's like her. Those. That's her management. 
Julia Hart is her manager or whatever, works mm-hmm. for her agency kind of. And so that's why they're like, we're supporting the passions of our clients or whatever. Mm-hmm. And also giving her promotion for her hot sauce. So maybe Oprah didn't sell all these hot sauces. Maybe it was also my unorthodox life. The show like was only popular for like one week when it when it premiered and then but it has a weirdly long tail like it keeps coming up like mm-hmm. its characters and its plot lines and whatever and it's just funny because I feel like it was one of those shows that I was like no one's gonna talk about this and after it has mm-hmm. been on Netflix for like two minutes but and, which right. was the case immediately but now is weird because they keep coming up yeah we've had two who weekly adjacent topics about things that have happened on my Orthodox life that's what I'm saying, and I don't love it. But but I think it's interesting how these people are bleeding out into, like, the who's sphere already. Hi, Bobby and Lindsay. Um, I'm just, you know, doing my nightly Instagram stalk hole that I live in. And who is Stefan Lovegrove? He appears to be, like, BFF with a whole bunch of people from the Bachelor franchise, as well as, like, some other reality TV things. And he's a celebrity life coach. Like his his tagline thing is like America's life coach. What would one do as a celebrity life coach? Anyway, hoping you can clear this up for me because I want to know who this guy is, but I'm getting no clear answers from Instagram. Anyway, thanks so much. Crunch, crunch. I cannot stress to you enough how fascinated I am by the post-bachelor bachelor nation industry that has Mm -hmm. like existed for the past like five to eight years that where now that there are so many former bachelor contestants who have either either been on the main show or any of the spinoff shows that they now have an industry within themselves that has nothing to do with being on television do you know what i mean it has to do with having been on the bachelor therefore like they all date each other. They all go to each other for advice and for promotion. And they, if they want to start a podcast, they reach out to a different bachelor. How did you do it? It's almost like they're in one big Slack or group chat where <laughs> they're constantly just finding out new ways to make revenue and sharing it with other bachelors. Like it, it's insane to me. It's almost like they all went to like the same university and they're the alumni group. And it's like this entire industry into itself. I just find it mm-hmm. amazing. And this guy is making the rounds. He got his uh, claws into the Bachelor Nation and is making the rounds within them. Like he's going on all their podcasts. He's giving them advice, you know. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure him out. And he's done a couple of interviews, not many. And I, he really just started bubbling up over the past couple of years. And like the caller said, a lot of it is Bachelor adjacent. But he says things like this. So here's an interview. He says, My story began in a fundamentalist cult in the southeastern United States. Think of a combination of the town from Footloose and the kind of scary cults you watch documentaries about. So he's gay. He comes out. His parents kick him out of the house. He goes to college. After college, he moves to Los Angeles. And he starts finding his, you know, chosen family. When you are struggling in Los Angeles, you are going to meet the types of people who ultimately end up on The Bachelor in Bachelor Nation, right? Those are clearly the people he connected with, right? And like people who are sort of aimless, directionless, but want fame, want notoriety in some way. But his personality type was not the type that was conducive to being on Bachelor in Paradise. His was like, I'm the nice guy. I'm the happy one. And it seems like at some point he worked at Disneyland as a cast member. So like 
Think Stop. of all the people, think of all the aspiring actors and aspiring singers and aspiring entertainers that you meet when you're working at Disneyland. And think of the well, way that that's not even that, like, about, shapes. I don't even think it's about meeting them. I think it's about almost crafting the persona of somebody who worked as a character in Disney who mm-hmm. then has the abilities, the the showmanship, the performance skill to be what is essentially a he's a performance artist. He's performing. Yes, he's a performer. He's his life coach. He's inspiring people. He's I mean, if you look at his website, he, you know, this multi-awarded life coach started out in ministry school. He sought peace and self-actualization for a long time. So he basically met a li- another life coach and was like, this is another type yes. of honestly performance performance but i'm helping people or whatever he's very open about like this life coach who inspired him and convinced him to like become a life coach himself the linkedin here usually we go to linkedin as a gag but i think the linkedin here creates this really understandable narrative of this guy and like when i think of a life coach now i don't think of a life coach as something that you kind of grow up wanting to be or even go to school wanting to be i think it's something that sort of you fall into because you've tried so many other things and pulled and plucked out all these appropriate skills, including, I think most importantly, the skill of self-promotion. He will answer any call or make the calls to Us Weekly and people and any podcast to talk about this. And I think the moment that he found himself intimately wrapped up with Bachelor stuff is when he became really notable because the spotlight is so bright on those people. I mean, he literally hosted a party first noel ball and it's like a club event like he hosted a club event Uh and got red carpet coverage and like all the bachelor people to show up or at least some of the bachelor people to show up it's kind of impressive i have to say the scam um that he's basically worked his way into this you know yeah i signed up for his newsletter no the subject is i have something for you bobby and he says, hi, Bobby, I'm Stefan, America's life coach, and I'm like, I'm beyond excited to connect with you. Why? Because every single decision you've ever made in life has led you right here to this moment and this message, which is nothing short of a miracle. And I'm like, oh, my God. Wow. And he links to his masterclass that he made that's not on masterclass. It just is a masterclass. And he signs it. I believe in you and I always will. Stefan, America's life coach, and your number one supporter. There's a lot to be said with just... Speaking of manifestation, willing yourself into something where it's just like, if you call yourself America's life coach enough and with a big enough font, people are just going to start fucking believing it. And I think that's what happened with this guy. (laughs) I know. And you're supposed to, you know, when you want to, you know, have power over somebody or really reach them, you're supposed to say their name. So it's interesting to me that he's Mm -hmm. saying he's putting, hey, Bobby, I'm there for you. I'm your life coach. If you want to like kind of understand what kind of life coaching we're doing we're talking here is he teaches a worthiness workshop which is like you know is your is your inner enemy trying to sabotage you etc but he also teaches a luxury branding overhaul so it's like those are the two that's the dichotomy of this person's kind of like quote unquote scam that they're running you know what i mean Uh uh-huh quote unquote scam (laughs) sorry i mean i I don't want to call it a scam because i do feel like people get something people do get value out of like various versions of life coaching like i don't think that they're fooling you into doing something you don't want to do like they're saying we're gonna work we're gonna try and strategically work through blockage in your life how do we do that right sometimes it is a change of mind frame and sometimes somebody who's like compelling and just saying the right things to you can help you you know get to that next point but like it is interesting that this person is offering both a worthiness workshop and a luxury branding overhaul you know what i mean Yeah. 
it's, it reminds me of like when you were really into tarot. When you were really good to tar- like, <laughs> you part of part you of being love to bring that up. You were really good at it because I know. You, one of the skills of tarot is like kind of telling people what they want to hear, <laughs> like figuring out what people want and then telling it to them in a way that makes it seem like you are sucking it up from like the ether and not just from them. All you're actually doing is reading them what they're saying and what they are doing, but you make it seem like you are reading their minds. Um, when all you're actually right, doing is reading right. their actions. Listening. The other thing is, when so many of your clients are on Bachelor in Paradise, I'm ready to laugh at that and say, LOL, what kind of life coach coaches you to ultimately end up on Bachelor in Paradise? But that's a goal for a lot of people. So, you know, I can't. I guess I can't dump on that too heavily if that is an actual goal for people who move to Los Angeles. What if you've already want been to be on Bachelor in Paradise, though? Where do you go from there? Well, then you talk to Stefan. Hi, Lindsay Bobby. I had to call because I just saw a TikTok on my For You page of Ali E. Carvalho um, duetting a video about her and Rowan Blanchard's queer coming-of-age movie coming out. And the caption is, she's still biphobic, but the movie is going to be so cute and queer. And just, like, straight up calling out her co-star. Like, does that happen? I don't know. Okay, crunch, crunch. The, the audio is Regina Spector, two birds, and Ali'i is showing photos of Rowan Blanchard, but when Rowan Blanchard shows up, she covers her eyes, and the caption is, she's still biphobic, but this movie is going to be so cute and queer. So she's doing both a drag and promotion for an upcoming movie Incredible. that she stars absolutely, in with Rowan Absolutely st- stunning oh. take on this. I've never seen anything like it, as the caller said. Um, Ali'i, we've talked about her before because she's the voice of Moana, and I I think the last time we talked about her was when she came out as bisexual last year on a TikTok using TikTok audio. Honestly, very clever. <laughs> Seriously, though, jokes aside, how you doing? You straight? She said, no, I'm bi. She said, are you drunk? I said, no, I'm high. I'm checking out the chick. She said, so am I. So Ali'i, as a bisexual person, is mad at Rowan Blanchard for allegedly being biphobic because some time ago, Rowan, who is notable because she was the star of Girl Meets World. Now she's in Snowpiercer. People love her. She's an activist. She liked some tweets that have been seen as biphobic. But what fascinated me is when I looked this up, I found a headline from a website called hitsea.com. You know hitsea.com? No. They're just like a broad pop culture website. You've definitely seen the logo. They write about everything kind of. And I think especially they write about Gen Z stuff and like internet culture stuff. But they had this headline five days ago. Feliz Mustafa wrote this. Fans confused by Ali'i Cravalho's biphobic TikTok stitch with Rowan Blanchard. Okay, that's an inscrutable headline. But it made me realize something. More and more, I mean, within the past six to nine months, I've been seeing fans confused construction or fans confused language more and more in headlines. And after a quick search, I found so many of them, like almost instantly, and they're all within the past six months. I think it has to do with taking the negative sentiment away from the publication and putting it in the hands of the person that they're talking about or quoting. It's like mm-hmm. if they say fans confused, it's their way of it's their way of saying that that people on Twitter were saying not so nice things mm-hmm. that they want to quote or put in an article, but they don't want to say the not so nice things. It's like a way of ignoring the actual issue while still getting eyes on your website. It's a way to show like videos of like or, or photos of like the photos of Madonna, like 
the, her butt like poking out from under the bed, people being like, what mm-hmm. is going on here? You know, yeah. without actually saying something like mean or judgy about the photo itself. They're going to let the fans, they're going to let the quotes say that, say that for them. But it doesn't even have to be about not wanting to be judgmental on your website. I think it's also a factor of like very quickly trying to comment on a trending topic, like literally a Twitter trend where you see like, oh, Jennifer Aniston is trending. Jay-Z is trending. It's either complicated or not all that interesting. So you're, you end up with headlines, fans confused as Jay-Z deletes Instagram just hours after joining, or Jennifer Aniston's influencer fail has fans confused. You know, it's like, how do we comment on a trend without actually exploring the trend and taking the time to examine what's going on? Selling Sunset, colon, Jesse Tyler Ferguson reacts to fans confused over his cameo. <laughs> Penelope Disick 9 rocks fake nails in new TikTok and fans are confused. <laughs> Madonna leaves fans confused over sexy butt-bearing photo shoot. Taylor Swift's fans confused as singer re-releases a 1989 track despite Red re-recording being her next album. That, to me, is the worst headline I've ever read. Oh my <laughs> god. Jennifer Garner leaves fans confused with incredible family photo. <laughs> Wait, how, what are they confused about with the incredible family photo? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to know. But anyway... That's my note. Wait, but so, sorry, they're starring in a Christmas movie together, a rom-com together? Yes, they're in a movie together called Love in Color. Okay. Coming to Hulu. Coming to Hulu. An aspiring young artist joins her high school track team and later discovers what real love feels like. Oh, it was written by Kristen King. I know her. Good job, Kristen King. Oh, my God. You know her? Yes. An aspiring young artist joins her high school track team and later discovers what real love feels like when she finds herself falling for an unexpected teammate. I used to freelance with her. Oh, my God. Good for you, Kristen. You wrote a Hulu queer movie with Ali Cravalho and Rowan Blanchard. Oh, my God. Yes, Kristen. Leaves fans confused. Yes, girl. Leave them confused. (laughs) I'm going to use Lee's fans confused as my new like just just anything just for anything. It's like mm-hmm. get them Pauline Chalamet. You really left those fans confused. You know, <laughs> like it just means making noise, just mm-hmm. having have, doing anything. Mm-hmm. Anyway, start looking for fans confused and you will start seeing it everywhere. Hey, Lindsay Bobby. Um, first time medium time, I guess. I'm watching The Sex Lives of College Girls, and it has taken me seven episodes to IMDb these talented, funny actresses, and I find that one of them is none other than the sister of one Timothée Chalamet. Um, Apparently, her name is Pauline. So I'm just curious. I want to know everything about her. I don't know if she's older, younger obviously less famous um what did what does she think about her brother what is i need i i need to know everything about her um please please tell us a little more okay thank you women do belong in balloons i didn't know that the chalamet family had another star in its Mm -hmm. lineup Mm mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> they do. Another another LaGuardia graduate. Another LaGuardia graduate. Another LaGuardia she's graduate. She's older too. So she's like uh, let's see if I end up cutting that segment. Hi Lindsay Bobby. Um so as always I'm sure you're getting um a thousand calls about this, but um 
after Jessica Chastain um, tweeted about the Jeremy Strong New Yorker profile, I um, showed my straight boyfriend um, three pictures, one of Jessica Chastain and Bryce Dallas Howard and one of Amy Adams. And first he asked, are these three different people before correctly identifying Jessica Chastain, which was a big moment for him. But anyway, um, who is Jeremy Strong and why does this profile have everyone in such a tizzy? Um, crunch, crunch, scarjo pizza roll. What's so funny about this is to me that I don't watch Succession, but the way that people talk about it online reminds me so much of Mad Men because Mm -hmm. Mad Men, when it was on, was like a really big talked about show and like dissected and like, you know, whatever. And everybody kind of like assumed that everybody else watched it in this really funny way, even though famously not a lot of people watch Mad Men. Like it didn't do, it wasn't this like huge hit in terms of viewers, but there was a certain group of people that talked about it so much that made it seem like everybody was talking about it. And to me, Mm -hmm. that's kind of like the vibe of succession. I don't actually know how many viewers it gets or if it's that successful. But what I do mean is that a lot of people talk about it in a very specific way you know, like they're in mm-hmm. constant conversation with other people who also watched obsessively. And this profile really fed into that kind of like really obsessive fandom of succession, the hive, and therefore yeah. got a lot of attention. And also because it was genuinely incredibly written. Just as a as a point of comparison, which HBO does release their numbers, Mare of Easttown's finale Four million people watched it. And that was a hit for them. The highest rated episode of Succession, which was the season premiere of this year, got 1.4 million viewers. So it's big. It's a big show, but it's not the like, it seemed like everyone was talking about Mare of Easttown because everyone kind of was. It seems like everyone's talking about Succession because the loudest voices are watching Succession, I think. Right, 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 right. right. The media loves Succession. And it's also a perfectly, I'll use the word again, heady it's a perfectly heady show that has a lot to be talked about and has actors in it who are, you know, interesting and are a lot mm. of them are not actors who this is like their quote unquote big break, meaning they were kind of character actors before or really serious kind of like theatery actors before and are now on this like pop hit culture show. You know, this like this yeah. big show in the culture, including Jeremy Strong. This is interesting. This profile comes out. It's written by Michael Schulman, one of the best in the biz, who Mm -hmm. does like these celebrity profiles. It's long. It's good. And it gets a really funny reaction because people are like, this guy who plays a true freak on the show, turns out he's a true freak in real life, which like (laughs) says a lot about like how well he does this character. It's like it really does reflect upon that. And when you read this, you understand Mm -hmm. how somebody who is so fully not in on the joke and never wants to be has no interest in being in on the joke, plays a character who is so fully not in on the joke, right? I mean, I don't watch it. Is that true? Yes, yes, yes. But the thing is, like, as someone who watches this show, you don't. He's funny on the show. Like, he is the most tragic character. 
but he can also be hilarious kind of in a cringy way. It's wild to me to read this and get the confirmation that he has no idea that he's doing a comedic performance. But that's what makes the performance so fun, I think. That's what makes the performance so fascinating and worthy of a profile like this. But it's interesting because the the reason why we're getting into this is because, or the way that we're getting into this side from people talking about it is that Jessica Chastain tweeted... I think the the caller read it. I've known Jeremy Strong for 20 years and worked with him on two films. He's a lovely person, very inspiring and passionate about his work. The profile that came out on him was incredibly one-sided. Don't believe everything you read, folks. Snark sells, but maybe it's time we move beyond it. Meanwhile, I do not believe that Jessica Chastain read the majority of this profile because the guy literally spoke mm-hmm. to every single person he possibly could. There are quotes from Chris Evans who worked, who was, who was a, uh, went to high school with him. Like there are <laughs> literally quotes from people across the board, right? To try and mm-hmm. give a 360 view of who this person is. So it's just funny that she is kind of like reacting to the reactions and not to the piece itself. But also, he goes around the world with this guy. It's not like he only talked right. to people who knew him. He, he talked to Jeremy for a long time. Days. Right, right, right. Many, right. many days. And the Jessica Chastain tweet is just so annoying because it's like, do not believe everything you read, folks. It's like, what am I not supposed to believe? Quotes from Jeremy Strong and a profile about Jeremy Strong? What do you mean don't believe? Uh, Savior, don't read everything you believe for Us Weekly and People Magazine. You're you're talking about The New Yorker. Like, they actually have fact checkers who work there, like, full time. I'm pretty sure, Yeah. yeah. There's not many of those left that are working full time in the industry, like... Fortunately, a lot of people were already like, you're annoying. Like, Jessica Chastain is the one dissenting voice here. This profile, I think, she was really overall well-received. She's just, like, kind of an idiot, no offense. Um, I love the <laughs> responses to some of her tweets where it says, the germs will not forget what you just did for us. Blue checks work hard, but germs work harder. As in J-E-R-M-Z, as in Jeremy Strong fans are called germs. The germs. They self-identify as germs. Oh, my God, I didn't know this. Anyway, the a line that people quote most from this is from Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin told me, as in Michael Shulman, quote, after the first season, he said something to me like, quote, I'm worried that people might think that this show is a comedy. And I said, quote, I think the show is a comedy. He thought I was kidding. So then Michael goes up to Jeremy Strong and he's like, do you think the show is a dark comedy? Because I think the show is a dark comedy. And Jeremy Strong says, quote, in the sense that like Chekhov is a comedy? No, I said, in the sense that it's funny. (laughs) And that's why the headline is Jeremy Strong doesn't get the joke. What we love about this profile is that is about it's about an actor who is the ultimate actor. Like this Mm -hmm. is what we want our actors to be like true freaks. You know, like he you learn and I didn't know this, that he was like his mentor is Daniel Day Lewis. So, of course, he's a freak like the guy Mm -hmm. was the was a PA giving Daniel Day Lewis like his coffee. And then I'm sure they became friends. And I'm sure and he there are a few times where like he won't reveal things about him for to like protect his privacy. Like that is the ultimate like method guy. So, of course, Mm -hmm. like Jeremy, who's been hustling, a lot of this is about how he kind of like hustled his way to the top. Once he's at the top, he acts like Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And no one has ever said Daniel Day Lewis is not talented. You know, they're just said, like, wow, what a what an actor's actor. What a true freak, you know? And I think freaks are more fun. Like freak actors are more fun whenever you yes. that's why we're having a good time with Gaga's with Gaga. cycle for House of Gaga, Gucci who because... stayed in character for three months. Like, okay, whatever. But like this is a version of that, you know? 
yeah, I got paid X millions of dollars to like play pretend. You bet your ass I'm going to turn into a crazy person. Like, What's I, the like, incredible quote in here from Brian Cox where he was in a movie with uh god what's what is it where uh, where is it what, who was he 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 was in a movie with someone and they like starved themselves or whatever where oh dustin it? oh it's the dustin hoffman story yeah he recalls a story about dustin hoffman on the 1976 film marathon man on learning that hoffman mm-hmm. had stayed up partying for three nights before a scene in which he had to appear sleep deprived olivier said my dear boy oh no this is so cox is remembering a story that Lawrence Olivier told Brian Cox. Yeah. Sorry. Olivier said, my dear boy, why don't you just try acting? <laughs> like, like instead of staying up for three nights, why don't you act sleep deprived? You're an actor. I mean, Brian Cox also has the most biting line in the whole thing where it's sort of like, there's well, a lot of anonymous sources in here. A lot of people are named, but a lot of people are anonymous, which is really interesting. You don't need anonymous sources to know that this guy isn't particularly well-liked and he isn't quite mm-hmm. a team player. Like, it is an ensemble show, Succession, to the extreme. It is an ensemble show. I don't watch it again, but I know, ensemble show. It seems like he doesn't work together with his fellow actors that well. There's a part of the profile where they recall a story where Sarah Snook, who's, who plays her his sister on the show, like tells him to shut the fuck up. You know, like well, she tells him to shut the fuck up after he's making he's doing a an improv like bit. <laughs> right, that's what you're trying. Yeah. There's a great Brian Cox part where he goes, quote, it's the cost to himself that worries me, Brian Cox told me. I just feel that he has to be kinder to himself and therefore has to be a bit kinder to everybody else. Which right, is like such what a we're nice saying elegant is this guy's a way jerk. Yeah. of being like, this guy sucks and we can't stand working with him. There's just one more fascinating bit about this in terms of not caring about succession but loving celebrities reading this profile, which was that Jeremy Strong met Michelle Williams at a in a play and then mm-hmm. became friends with her. And then when Heath Ledger died and she moved out of her house in Borum Hill and nobody was living there, Jeremy Scott moved in. Like, with Strong. her permission, obviously, and lived in, like, the basement apartment for, like, months and months and months. And his friends at the time were like, how are you living in this, like, famous actress's house for free? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, he. I'm trying to balance it because while maybe the people on Succession don't love working with him and his methods, he clearly has these strong ties within his actor community. And I think that comes from doing theater, you know, with them. Mm-hmm. The reason I think we love this so much is because it's been a long time since we've seen a celebrity profile that wasn't, you know, the trend now that everyone is commenting on at this point is like every celebrity profile these days is the same where it's like, you think you know the real you, you don't like. Right. It's always like, it's always like Cassie David is doing her thing. Yeah. There was just a Will Smith one today that did the same thing. Let me find it. Um, Will Smith is done trying to be perfect. You know, like... Cody Smith McPhee is here now is a profile. Right. Celebrity profile headlines have just gotten so dull and uninteresting because celebrity profiles themselves have gotten so uninteresting because celebrities are so unwilling to be weird. They want to be relatable. They want to be well liked. Whereas Jeremy Strong is like leaning into the fact like Jeremy Strong isn't trying to pretend that he's anything other than what he is, which is sort of a lunatic. And I was thinking about this Vanity Fair profile that was published last month on Jennifer Lawrence, written by Karen Valby, and the headline was, Jennifer Lawrence, I didn't have a life, I thought I should go get one. And there's this part in it where, you know, she's promoting her Adam McKay movie, now talk about Adam McKay again, Adam McKay movie, Don't Look Up, in which she stars with um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Meryl Streep. 
And there was this line that I thought was really interesting and appropriate for right now. In an email, Street marvels at the duo's differing approaches to work. She's talking about the difference between Leo and J-Law. Quote, she is a bold and unselfconscious actress, someone whose gift is alive on her skin and in her being. In that, she is different from Leo, for whom the struggle is part of the job, who relishes wrestling with it, and whose work is serious and analytic and intense. She spins it out of the air in the room. I am sort of in awe on both of them. And it's like, wow, that's a good way of describing two different types of actors. Jennifer Lawrence, whose whole thing ever since she came on the scene was like, I'm just like you. I'm just a normal lady. I'm like kind of mean and kind of fun and kind of sassy. Whereas Leonardo DiCaprio is like, I'm insane. I need an Oscar more than anything. I take this so deathly serious. You won't even believe it. And it's like, yeah, the J-Law part has a place and it's fun for like gifts and like wanted to get brunch with someone. But it's like the Leo stuff is more fun. Fun. Of course. You know, like the Leo stuff is is more satisfying as an audience member. Like someone who kind of has no sense of how stupid their job is and just like takes it more seriously than a, a surgeon. Kate Arthur, who's the uh, editor at large at Variety, she tweeted about it and then Jessica re- responded to her. And I think she Kate was kind of like, did you read it? And Jessica <laughs> wrote, hi, Kate. I read them when I can. I have to disagree with the nuanced description. I spend a lot of time with Jeremy and his family. This article in no way represents the man he is. All the quotes chosen felt, quote, cherry picked to create an image that the writer was putting forward. And it's like he spent a lot of time with him. And the guy literally at the end says something like, sorry, I mean, now I'm like, We don't need to go back to the profile, but I'm pretty sure this is like a pretty good view of this person that you can get writing a profile. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's it's kind of telling on yourself that you think that this is negative when I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. read this and were like, what a true freak genius actor, like (laughs) incredible, absolutely stunning portrait of an actor, you know? The end, we were texting about this yesterday, but the end of this, he goes, quote, I think my life has been animated by wanting. I felt like there was so much to prove both to myself and to the community for so long, but in a way I got that out of my system. And it's like, did you? And the idea is like, I don't think he ever did. But the thing about Jeremy Strong that makes him so interesting is that there was this weird kind of class struggle at the heart of his whole vibe where it's like, there isn't nepotism there. There isn't like family money there. He like, somehow got into Yale. His parents struggled to get him to good schools. They didn't have money. And he went to Yale and was surrounded by all these rich people suddenly. And he like had to pretend. You would take acting serious, this seriously too, if you had to like crawl your way up by like being a PA on what movie was he? I mean, somebody asked how to get all these like PA jobs. He said, I wrote letters, which I mm-hmm. kind of believe because once I got an internship by writing an email, sometimes things just you got to write something. Just I don't know. Real... Like, yeah, it's just a real story. It's a real mm-hmm. story about a real freaking capital A actor guy. Mm-hmm. And we love it. And we love you know? to see it. We love we to see love it. 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 And it was just a nice change of pace from the celebrity profiles that have become commonplace over the past, let's say, 10 years, <laughs> you know, that that right. try to spin something out of nothing. And it really is no fault. I truly believe this. It is, in most cases, no fault of the no profile No fault of author. the writer. The writer shows up and the press person says, 
either we got you a couple hours, you're going to get lunch with them, you're going to do this with them, or you got to do this over the phone, or you can talk for five hours, but X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D are off the record and you can't talk about these topics. And it's just like, everyone's or, so guarded you, know, you have 30 minutes over Zoom to mm-hmm. literally say something write about this 5, person's words. life, which is why <laughs> you write a profile called Cody Smith. I'm sorry, I don't know his name. I already forgot his name. Cody Smith is here to stay. You know, like that means literally nothing. But of course you're going to, what else are you supposed to get from talking mm-hmm. to this person for 30 minutes. I mean, this is the New Yorker luckily has the the space, the funding, the writers, the the support system of editors and fact checkers to create something like this that is this thorough. Um you're not going to get anything this nuanced, you know. There is nuance here a little bit, you know. He mm-hmm. this guy doesn't let you nuance speaking of Jeremy Strong, but you know, whatever. And I also think you don't watch the show. No, and I don't think this is a spoiler. If you think if if you don't want even vague spoilers of Succession, skip ahead thirty seconds. But I also think one of the reasons that this profile exists is because they're about to kill him off, so he feels a little freer to do this sort of thing, and everyone else feels a little freer to comment about working with him because they know they're not going to be working with him him next season. I think that's what's being set up. And so you I think, think that you that, don't know this. This is no, not a spoiler. This is literally no. just you thinking. I okay. suspect I suspect he will be dead in the season finale. And I think that's why this profile maybe was timed to when it was. Interesting. Interesting. Everyone has a little bit more freedom. They're a little more empowered to talk shit about this guy and be open about this guy because they know that he's no longer going to be around. Anyway. Interesting. Interesting. Springtime vibes are in the air, and when I bring in some beautiful flowers that are blooming, I want to smell them, not the litter box. And I can, thanks to Pretty Litter. I'm going to correct this ad because I didn't bring any flowers in, but you know what I did cook yesterday? A big pot of beans. It smelled delicious in my apartment. It smelled like all the yummy stuff I was cooking, and it didn't smell like cat poo-poo or cat pee-pee because I used Pretty Litter. You're saying springtime vibes are in the air, and when I cook a big pot of beans, <laughs> I'd rather I want to smell beans. them, yes. not the litter box. I'd rather okay, smell beans great. than flour. I'm trying to personalize I don't think it. Pretty Litter would mind you correcting their intro with your own personal endorsement, which is yes. that you want to smell your beans. Yes. Delicious, fragrant beans with bay leaves and garlic and onion. This is all to say that nothing beats Pretty Litter's ability to instantly trap odor. It's ultra-absorbent, it's lightweight, it's low dust, and one six-pound bag works for up to a month. So I know that when people come over to my apartment, they're going to be smelling whatever I'm cooking, whatever's in the air, you know, like whatever candle I lit, they're not going to smell what's in the litter box because it soaks it all up. Plus, the crystals change color to indicate early signs of potential illness in my cat, like UTIs, kidney issues, and more. So when the colors change, you can tell your vet what happened so they know what to look for. And if that wasn't enough, Pretty Litter ships free right to my door. I never run out. I don't have kitty litter bags taking up a lot of space in my little apartment. Go to prettylitter.com slash who to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. That's prettylitter.com slash who to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. Prettylitter.com slash who. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Who Weekly is brought to you by Squarespace. As usual, we love Squarespace. We love Squarespace. It's the only way we will ever have a website. (laughs) Is Squarespace. You're right. Because it's easy. Because I can update it very fast when things go crazy with tour announcing, which we might have to do relatively soon. Might? Uh, Might? uh You said, we just came and saw you. I said, well, this is a this is a 365 podcast. We're planning ahead. Everyone's everyone's doing live shows these days. So all the venues are getting booked up. So we have to book our tour, which is far away pretty soon. 
But we already know we already know the dates. We're ready to update the website on Squarespace. And we also already know how to put them on the website, which is like half the battle because it's Squarespace. Exactly. And we've done this for a long time and it's very, very easy. We love Squarespace because it's very easy to update things. We love Squarespace because we have a contact form, which is the way most people get in touch with us. Even though we have a very easy to remember email address, which is what's read up to at gmail.com, people would prefer to just use the contact form on Squarespace because Squarespace is easy. And on our website, it's easy to find our press clippings. It's easy to find embeds of the podcast. It's easy to find anything you need to know about our podcast. So go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your website, go to squarespace.com slash who to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi, Who Weekly. Long time, long time. Um, question for you. Do you think that Manic Pixie Dream Boys are them now? I'm realizing that like with Megan Fox and Kourtney Kardashian, and now Kim Kardashian dating all of these new dudes with lots of tattoos and just very Manic Pixie energy. I think that Manic Pixie Dream Boys have always been a who, but they may now be thems. Let me know what you think. Tim Tebow lesbian. It's kind of hard to define Manic Pixie Dream Boy when we've never define manic pixie dream girl properly and probably never yeah. will but yeah i mean are we in an era of manic pixie dream but i guess it's it, the, the manic pixie dream girl is a you don't really know who they are that's kind of the point where it's like the definition of it is like there's no actual character development within this person and it's referred to it's normally referred to characters not actors or like people you know one of the things about manic pixie dream girl is that it was coined specifically for Zoe Deschanel, right? Like, that's that was the first instance of Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Well, also uh, Natalie Portman's character in um, in Garden State, uh, Garden State, and Kirsten Dunst in Elizabethtown. Per- another perfect example because those are two roles written by men, and same thing with Five Hundred Days of Summer. But I think one of the main hallmarks of Manic Pixie Dream Girl, the way that I interpret it, is the male gaze, where it's like, this is a nerdy, straight man's ideal woman, which is a woman that just, oh my god, has exactly your interests, is approachable, and is sexy, but like not sexual, because it's probably a man who's like, women should be prudish, women should be reserved. Like, there's something really nasty about when, when it comes to right. the actual sexuality a fully, of a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. She's not a fully formed person. Her personality quirks, like, highlight or, you know, like, do something to you, essentially. Yes. Like, are more about what you are. You know, it's, yes. there's a lot, like, 500, 500 Days of Summer is always an example people give. Sometimes people say Eternal Sunshine mm-hmm. has the vibe, but she also written by kind of weirdly self-references it in there. But yeah, I mean... The, th- the reason I bring up the sexuality of the Manic Pixie Dream World, which is, like, kind of non-existent, but the thing about the Manic Pixie Dream Boys, as we're talking about it, is that, like... It's overtly sexual. It's like comically sexual. It's like teen boy sexual. And I think that that's a funny inverse of it. But I also think that you can't call these men Manic Pixie Dream Boys because the the description is supposed to be for a character, not for like an actor, not for like a person. Like it's not like, oh, is MGK a Manic Pixie Dream Boy? I mean, maybe like he's that's playing true. a character and that's what we're supposed to whatever. But like... It doesn't make sense within actually the trope of the mm-hmm. the origin of the trope, you know? This is definitely a trendy type of guy, right? I think it's just like a pop punk guy and the kind of thing where it's like, 
the hot girl instead of dating the himbo dates like the freaking skinny tattooed emo kid and everyone's like I don't get it and it's like Mm -hmm. this is the definition of that kind of like (laughs) that trope that trope you know where it's like that guy's actually hotter and he's deeper and he's cooler and like he's Mm -hmm. got more to say about life and whatever you know yeah but what do you think it's a (laughs) what do you think it's a direct response to what do you mean what sort of popular type of female character did it follow because i feel like the manic pixie dream boys even though i don't like calling that we're just gonna use it for the purposes of this call i think they're sort of following the hulking marvel big roided up bros straight guys maybe yeah i feel like all of these all of these trends are reactions to other trendy types of guys and types of gals types of people you know like Mm. I, i don't think that this the popularity of Machine Gun Kelly can be really discussed unless you talk about the popular type of guy that preceded him. And right, isn't it like yeah. isn't it like I think the it's Hulking more Marvel guy? The I think it's more the forget Machine Gun Kelly, but like the Pete Davidson, the hunkification of Pete Davidson and like people being like, I don't get it. Like he's not traditionally hot. Like what you know, but he but he has sex appeal. Like what's the deal? And people being so confused by that when it's like, yeah, maybe it is like the backlash kind of to the like every guy who's quote unquote hot has to look like Chris Evans or whatever, which is so clearly not the case. And there's something about like to go back to celebrity profiles, like there's something about like the sexless hunk you know, the Marvel sexless hunk that's, like, sexy and hot and has this amazing, like, well-constructed body, but overall is very G-rated, you know? And <laughs> whereas here you have, like, overtly sexy, almost comically sexy dudes. Like, mm-hmm. I just think it's worth talking about the fact that I think both Manic Pixie Dream Girl and Manic Pixie Dream Boy are reactionaries or follow trends that were sort of the opposite of what right. came before Right. Well, them. it's a difference between saying Pete Davidson has big dick energy and, like, no one in Marvel even having a dick, like, in terms of, like, <laughs> right. superhero lore. Yeah, right. They're like, exactly. they're like, com- they're like uh, action figures with yeah. just a mound of plastic like, there. Right. So, like, Ken dolls, exactly. They're All Ken right. Dolls. Moving on. All right, guys. It's enough. I've been watching this listening to this show for multiple years, maybe three, four, I don't know. I've moved cities. I've watched you when I lived in New York, and now I live in Atlanta. And I've been to all the shows. Like, I've, I've been supporting for years and years and years. And I've called with this exact same call. Never been played, and that's fine. But, like, I'm sorry, it's so nuts but like it's my party trick and the fact that you guys have yet to talk about it is just like insane to me like this is nuts Peter Sutherland's full name how are we not talking about this it's one two three four five six seven, seven names in one I've like, what? Keeper, William, Frederick, Dempsey, George, Rufus, Sutherland. That's just forming. How are we not talking about this? Why won't, why won't you play my call? Ugh. Anyway. It's nuts. It's nuts. Nuts. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I feel like we're going to drive this woman into, like, a institution if we <laughs> Like this call, like she's like screaming, like 
why won't anyone talk about Keith Sutherland's full name? <laughs> Seven names. That that's Kiefer Sutherland's name. His name is Kiefer William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus Sutherland. <laughs> Is there, like, no answer to that? Wait. I found it. Listen. Listen. This is even crazier. So this is from Reddit. His twin sister, Rachel, has no middle name listed online. Mm -hmm. Donald went on to have three more sons with third wife, Francine Reset. Rossif Sutherland, no middle name found. Rogue Jacep Russet Sutherland and Angus Redford Sutherland. All four of his sons were named after directors Donald Sutherland had worked with. According to Wikipedia, Kiefer is named after the American-born director and writer Warren Kiefer, who under the assumed name of Lorenzo Sabatini, directed Sutherland in his first feature film, the Italian low-budget horror film, The Castle of the Living Dead. Rogue is named after director Nicholas Rogue. Rossif is named after French director Frederick Rossif. And Angus has his middle name after Robert Redford. I find it fascinating they'd give one son five middle names. <laughs> but then why did Rogue only get his mother's last name as a middle name? Why did he get five? If it were just as simple as Donald named his kids after directors that he worked with, which is Cuckoo Bananas, like not gonna, like talk about crazy actors. <laughs> Cuckoo Bananas to name your kids after directors you worked with. Oh, my God. I love how crazy actors are. But, like, you're not getting any information about why he has five middle names. (laughs) I know you're right. I'm not. I'm not. It's very John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. It's very, Mm -hmm. like, if you'd put his name into that song, it'd be like, Heaver William, Frederick Dempsey, George Rufus Sutherland. (laughs) His name is mine. You know what I mean? (laughs) Okay. Here we go. Lindsay, I found it. You got it? it? Thank okay. God. And you know what? You know what? You know who we have to thank for this? Canada. Well, he is Canadian. He is Canadian. Did you look He's him up Canadian. on like Canada.com? CTV News broke this story. In reality, okay. who wrote this? Uh, Sandy Ronaldo, an anchor at CTV, who interviewed him on thank the occasion you. of him uh, having a new show, Designated Survivor, a few years ago. Okay. I remember that. He was a designated survivor. Kiefer William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus Sutherland. Now that's a mouthful. The explanation? Kiefer says when he was born, his parents were poor. The actor Christopher Plummer paid their way from England to America, and Donald Sutherland made him an IOU, which daughter Amanda Plummer tells Kiefer, Christopher Plummer's daughter, her dad insists is still owed. The joke around the Sutherland homestead was that Donald owed a lot of people money, and he promised to name his firstborn son after them. In reality, he is named Kiefer after William Kiefer, who wrote Donald's first TV role in England. William is a middle name. Dempsey is Kiefer's mother's maiden name. Frederick is his father's father's first name. George was his father's best friend, George Metcalf. No. And no No. one... Wait, and no one knows where Rufus comes from. Apparently, Donald (laughs) Sutherland hasn't said. Donald didn't even tell his own son where Rufus came from. Meanwhile, they had this interview in a fake Oval Office for Designated Survivor. Like, everything about this whole story is absolutely crazy. So now we know why. (laughs) Kiefer Sutherland's name is replacing John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. That's no longer. Now it's Kiefer Sutherland. Now it's Kiefer. I don't even remember. I have to remember them. Kiefer, George, Rufus. No, Kiefer William. Kiefer William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus Sutherland. That's a new sign off. William Dempsey George Rufus. William Dempsey George Rufus. William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus. You need a mnemonic device. WFDGR. 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 W F W F D G R. So it's 
what fucking <laughs> where where the fuck did this guy who fucking did <laughs> who fucking did who fucking did give uh it doesn't need to be related it can just be a random phrase that's memorable something 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 gay rights is what it needs to be what the what the fuck? What the fuck, Donald? Gay rights. What the fuck, Donald? Gay rights. So that stands for William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus. If you want to remember William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus, we've come up with a mnemonic device, which is, what the fuck, Donald? Gay rights. <laughs> okay. But you the the is not, the T is not part of it. You have to ignore the T. So it's Kiefer what the fuck, Donald? Gay rights, Sutherland. <laughs> Which stands for William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus. And yes, I searched this caller's phone number. They called five times in the past about, no, four times in the past three years about Kiefer's name. Once on March 19th, to, I'm going to play them all. Once on March 19th, 2018. <laughs> another time on December 2nd, 2018. Then again on May 15th, 2019. And once Rats more on May 5th, 2020. <laughs> Okay, so I called earlier about the Emma Watson thing, but I have, I think, an even funnier story because the last one I sent was, like, very, wasn't well thought out. But you're talking about Logic, who is actually from my hometown, but forget him for a second. Um, You were talking about how long his name is, but I have someone who is even more absurd, Kiefer Sutherland. If you've ever been bored, Wikipedia Kiefer Sutherland, and you will be amazed at his full name. There are seven parts. It is Kiefer, William, Frederick, Dempsey, George, Rufus, Sutherland. I didn't even know that was possible. Like, where do you fit that on the Scantron? Where? Anyways, that's all. I have an idea for a game that you guys could play. Try and guess all the names that are in Kiefer Sutherland's real name. I bet you can't do it. So you probably won't uh, play this because I've honestly called about this before, but I've been waiting for you guys to talk about Kiefer Sutherland, um, mostly because just to go along with the fact that he is just this douchey personality, and even though his name and the name Sutherland might be a them, his full name I'm assuming, like, birth certificate name, is Kiefer William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus Sutherland. Only a douchebag would have that many names, one. And two, he has more names than freaking Archie Matter whatever horn. No, not Matter horn. Whatever it is. Batten? Matt Batten? I don't know. But anyways, all I'm saying is I've been waiting for you guys to talk about Kiefer I really hope you look up all his crazy names and get to the bottom of why he has so many crazy names. All right, well, crunch, crunch. Hey, guys, I hate to do this to you, but you did ask for people that have been calling about the same thing over and over. And I have been calling for, it's probably got to be two and a half to three years about this same thing. And I find it fascinating. Maybe it's just that you guys don't. But if you ever Wikipedia Keeper Sutherland and you're curious about his full name, 
It is insane. His full name. Are you ready for this? Because it's 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 a it's a doozy. Kiefer William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus Sutherland. Why does someone have that many names? And how do you fill that out on a Scantron is really my biggest question. Okay. Bye. <laughs> I feel like we we owe her like this gift of talking about this for this long because she's done the work, you know? What the fuck, Donald? Gay rights. Hi, Who Weekly. Long time, long time. Can you rank from who to them? Aloe, the yoga uh, wear company. Ollie, the vitamins Rebel Wilson does this bond for. Ollie Pop, a new, or Ollie Soda, something like that. It's like, um, I don't know, some sort of natural pop of some sort. And Aloe Black, the musician. And aloe vera. <laughs> These are too crazy. Come on. How many milligrams do you think were involved in the making of that call? 10, 15? At least 10. <laughs> at least 10. Um, all right. Who to them? This bullshit? Aloe yoga, Ollie vitamins, Ollie pop soda, aloe black the singer, and okay, aloe vera Okay, fine. The plant. I got it. I got you it. You got it? Okay, go. I'm probably going to agree. Ollie, this is who to them. Ollie pop soda, Ollie vitamins, Ollie vitamins, then aloe black the singer, aloe yoga, and then aloe vera. I think and that's I, the, right. The, the controversial one is putting aloe yoga after aloe black, but I do feel like aloe yoga's come up has been swift and people really know what that is. And yeah. aloe black hasn't had a song in a while that was a big hit. The Aloe Black song that I still sometimes pops up every once in a while on my uh, random playlist that I have is, you know that song? Well, of course you do. Wake Me Up. Yeah. Wake me up when it's all over. There was the Avicii song was the hit, but the best version is actually the acoustic one that's just Aloe Black. I love that one. Oh, I didn't know there was an acoustic version. You know who loved that one? Kelly. <laughs> Kelly was very into the Wake Me Up, <laughs> the Wake Me Up acoustic version. And I do think it's a superior version. I'll play it oh, here. Oh, guess who was on Mass Singer last year? He played the Mushroom, Aloe Black. That makes perfect sense. Great casting. <laughs> um, Listen to this. So wake me up when it's all over. Thank you for listening to another episode of Who Weekly. Thank you for calling in at 619 Who Them to leave questions, comments, and concerns. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon.com slash Who Weekly for bonus episodes and fun chats. And we're starting a Discord, which is exciting. So the Who's can just chat amongst themselves all the time in the Patreon Discord. And thank you to Katie and Eric of The Who's for providing our theme song. Thank you to Timmy, our research assistant, for researching and assisting. Thank you to everyone who rates and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Love to see those ratings and reviewings. And we'll see you on Tuesday with another episode of The Main Show. Bye. That's multiplicity. Hi, Lindsay Bobby. This is Katie. Um, I'm calling because I just got a new phone and I wanted to see if it was working and I didn't actually want to have to talk to anyone I know 
and the only person I, only phone number I could think to call was you guys. So apparently my phone's working. Hi, Who Weekly. Um, one thing that you did not mention about Joe Bangles is that he's kind of a hunk. Crunch, crunch. Had to pause the pod. Lady Gaga is to Gucci family as Lauren Perez is to Dunkin' Donuts franchise part family. Crunch, crunch. Hi, Lindsay Bobby. Long time, first time. I just want to say how much I appreciate all of the good multiplicity content on the pod, um, but it is a little bit triggering for me. In the 90s, my brother was fired from the local video store for stealing a copy of Multiplicity. I don't know why he did it. I don't want to know why he did it, but the contraband is still at my parents' house. Crunch, crunch. Hey, I just remembered about Kevin Can Wait. Crunch, crunch. 